Hi, if you haven't listened to our overview episodes, please listen to those first before continuing on in the Yankton 4 slash Rouse series. In today's episode, we will hear from Desmond Rouse, one of the accused four in the case, accompanied with his wife, Anna. Desmond, would you like to, to start us off by reminding us of what the charges were and you know what happened? In 93, the FBI raided my mother's house, surrounded my mother's house with the BIA cops and a criminal investigator for the tribe, our tribe, for the ancient Sioux tribe. And in total of all, they took 13 of our children, which were my nieces and nephews. And uh, they took us to jail in Sioux Falls, Minnehaha County Jail, and kept us there. How old were and, you uh, at that time? Excuse me? How old were you at that time? Oh, I must have been about 24, 25, somewhere around there. I can't remember Wow. But if I do the math, I, I could, you know. That's okay. <laughs> but yeah. <clears throat> but I was in my early 20s anyway. But yeah, so they take us to Minnehaha County and they leave us there for a whole year. We sat there for a whole year. But the week, or a couple of weeks later, they took us to a, a indict. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, a grand jury indictment, I think it's called. So they take us there and it's like more or less they tell us, <clears throat> okay, this is what you're charged, accused of. And, you know, we're going to see if there's enough evidence to hold you over for trial. So they tell us, you know, you, this is, you guys are doing, you know, doing these things to your nieces and nephews, you know. <laughs> so we're accused of child molestation and, uh, yeah, that's, you know, we sat there for a whole year talking to our lawyers, telling them, you know, nothing happened, you know. And they kept coming back telling us, you know, you know, you want to take a deal, you know, you want to take a plea bargain, you know, for two years, we'll give you two years, take a plea bargain, be guilty, you know, the rest of the guys will get, the rest of the guys will get the maximum time, you know. And we say, <clears throat> plead guilty to what, you know, nothing happened, you know. Mm-hmm. I, the the timeline, is it uh, correct that they actually, they come and they came and got the kids first and the charges were brought much later? Is that uh, correct? I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, I never seen no paperwork, but I know maybe it did, you know, maybe because I don't know, you know, we're sitting in, like I said, we're sitting in county jail for a whole year. We didn't know what's going on on the outside, mm-hmm. you know. But maybe they did, you know, keep them that six months and, uh, you know, threaten them, bribe them, coerce them, you know, all that, you know. Desmond, were you were you arrested the same day? Allegations, you know. Were you arrested the same day they took the kids out? We were all arrested that day. That day, okay. Yep. Wow. So no investigating into the charges before they arrested you. Nothing. Oh. Accusations. A- and accusations by uh, whom? I think a social worker and a, a school teacher. And so it was not the children that made the accusations. No, not no. Wow. They were more or less the coerced to make you know the accusations. 
They were bribed. They were threatened. Hmm. Yeah. They, they were bribed with giving a... The government bribed them with taking them to Disneyland, you know, taking them on picnics, giving them money, taking them shopping, you know. That, that's all on record. That's all in the trial transcripts, everything. I'm telling you is in the trial transcript. And as I understand it, they were actually told that they could go home if they would uh, agree to testify. Yep. But they didn't. Didn't. The only kids that were returned home were the ones who didn't yes. uh, testify, right? <clears throat> the ones that were, you know, impressionable and, you know, younger, easier to bribe or coerce, manipulate, whatever, you know, they were, those ones were kept, but the older ones that, you know, weren't going along with their evil plan, you know, they let them go back home, you know, why would they let them go back home, you know, and when we were still there, you know. Exactly. Desmond, how many of those children actually lived at your mother's? Uh, probably, probably, uh, I don't know, it was all different, right? Because my sister had a house next door. My oldest sister, Rodrigo, had a house next door, <clears throat> excuse me, and my sister Vita had a house locked down. Yeah, um, I remember um, Lucretia saying that they did not live in the house, and there was, I, if I remember correctly, there was five kids in yes, that family? That, yes, that's uh, Bita, my sister Vita's kids. Yes. That's yeah. Jerome, Donovan, Lucretia, Jessica, and Piri. Yeah. They were all living with their mother a block away. So okay. probably probably Trista was there, you know, and then and then my brother Jesse's family was down from Wyoming, so they were also staying there. They were down for <clears throat> they came down for a visit, you know, that summer. Okay. So that summer, you know, we all apparently turned into child molesters, you know, in one summer. Hmm. Wow. That's that's just crazy. I, I had just come back from uh Wyoming too. I was staying down there, living down there working with one of my buddies, one of my buddies and my mom came down and asked me to come back with her you know because she didn't see me you know since you know, I was about 16 17 you know because I left the reservation to go live in Montana oh wow you know, I went to school out in Montana for a couple of years I was living out there you know uh, going to school and fighting forest fires in the summer and then after I finished school I moved to uh and I moved to Wyoming for a little while. And I worked there in a the oil field. So, so it's it, it sounds to me, yeah, it sounds to me like they just <clears throat> they didn't have, they just went for all the kids that were at that that happened to be at the house that day, mm. regardless if they lived there or not. Yeah, they just. I think they were. We were all there that day. You know that they came in. Everybody was there. So did your um, sisters know, know what happened to, did, were they aware that they were taken away? And They had an idea, you know, what was going on because like I said, they took them before and they tried to, you know, <clears throat> coerce, bribe and threaten all the one, all of them, you know, 
And the ones that couldn't, they let them come back home. Yeah. So why, you know, this evil stuff was going on, why let them back home, you know, with us? when well, we're still around, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then um, you, uh, Bita, her children won't return for 10 years? Yes. And she had nothing to do with, with any of this. She didn't live there. She wasn't accused of anything. Actually, they, they made them say, if we get, if you could have the trial transcripts, you know, or, you know, all the records and stuff, everything is in there. They did say that the mothers were doing stuff to them. They did say, you know, that, that really kills me that <clears throat> they had them saying stuff about my mother doing things to them. <clears throat> and that's what hurts most, you know. So they accused, they had the children accuse everybody in the family? Everybody. But only four of you were arrested. Well, what, there was five in the beginning, correct? And yes. <clears throat> five of us. Wow. But. I mean, these sick perverts had them saying that their own grandmother was doing things to them, you know. Their own grandmother, you know. Wow. Wow. And that's what kills me, that <clears throat> excuse me. You know, none of them are saying nothing now, you know, in defense of their grandmother, because your grandmother was never ever like that, you know. We're not even like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why none of them want to stand up and say anything. Right. And, and that's, I do why, wanna... that's why I don't want to see any of them. You know, if you don't want to help me, you don't want to help yourselves and you know, you're dead to me. I don't care anymore. I did 30 years for nothing. You know, he never stood up, said one word for me, us. And you're still not saying nothing, you know. I don't care anymore. They live their lives. I want to live my life now, too. Anna, do you want to weigh in here on anything? I mean, first of all, hello. Um, I just wanted to add something to the aspect with, um, with, with Desmond's mom, you know, with Rosemary Rouse. I just wanted to say that because of the constant interrogations and the kids being asked questions every day and they're actually trying to give the right answers, they started to tell stories and stories and obviously tell more and more stories in desperation to actually please the prosecutor, please the guardian at Leeton please, the social worker, um, you know, please, the FBI agent, please, the BIA, all these different people that come to to interview them on the regular. So they're started to invent more things in order to please them. And obviously, they went too far with their storyline. Um, that's how uh, Desmond's mom comes into it, you know. And that's when the prosecution decided obviously they were not going to use this information from what the children actually say you know Desmond's mom should have been in prison by all rights too you know she should have been accused but and and she should have gone to trial but of course they decided to leave that whole aspect out because that might be totally unbelievable I mean it was unbelievable to start with but of course it's always easier to frame males than it is to frame females you see you see that with a lot of cases now where you have, um, this is the period of the, the ritual child sex abuse cases. 
And um, you see a lot of these people finally coming out of prison now. I read an article just this morning of another case, people being exonerated and dismissed. Um, because in this case, you don't have the mothers actually accusing anybody of anything. And that makes it difficult, you know, because imagine they're living there. There is, there is Ursula Rouse, one mother. There's Rosemary Rouse, another female. And then there is Beta Rouse, another Rosemary. female. Rosemary, yeah, Lee, then there's my mother. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm just saying there's all these adult females in the house. I mean, and they're all good mothers. I mean, what mother? I mean, I'm a mom myself. I mean, I guess your mothers. I mean, who would who would stand for anything like that? You know, if any male relative in the household would do shit to my daughter, I know what I'll do or my son, you know. Right. So that's what makes it all so unbelievable, too. I mean, <clears throat> and all these people, of course, the prosecution left them out at trial. They should all have been used by defense, you know, to help Desmond Godfrey, Jesse, and, and Russell, you know, these stupid accusations. Also, they had girlfriends at the time who could if have. If I may say something testified. real quick, please. If I say something real yes. quick, please. Uh, yeah, during trial, you know, my sister Bita was asked, you know, what would you do if this was going on? And, and bluntly, she said, I will cut their balls off, you know, bottom line. Mm -hmm. That's how my sister felt about, you know, if that was going on, that's what she would have did, you know. Right. So she knew that you didn't do anything to her children. Yes. Okay. She knew nothing, nothing was going on like that ever. <clears throat> but, and I'm sorry, cut in. And I, I thought that also, they have recanted, you know, they they did that straight away, right? Some of the kids that testified at trial, they they say now that they were cursed and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the trial testimony, it was a closed circuit TV. This is the first time that this was actually done. The children couldn't be in the same room with the defendants because... They, that would have um, made it difficult for the jury, you see, because the kids were happy to see them. So there would have been interaction. So they needed to orchestrate that, put them in a different room. And actually, all they did is answer yes and no questions. And the children told me that during this time of this questioning by camera, actually, it would be like this, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm answering yes, no, yes, no. And kind of out of the field of vision is the guardian at Litam and a bit further there's a prosecutor. And they give hand signals for yes, even, no. Even the judge. Yes, Even no, the judge was back there. Yes. Even and the that's how they testified. Oh, yeah, the judge was back there too. He met with the kids before in closed chambers. And, we're and even the judge it. said, yeah, sorry, Desmond, you, you, you just say I'm all Go ahead. No, I just I just wanted to say that that's also in the transcripts that the judge said that uh, he questioned Jessica and her answers were questionable. You know, it was a, he was unsure about whether it happened or it didn't happen. It didn't make any sense to him. And you do know, you know how old is, Jessica was at the time? Yes, she was four years old. Okay. So imagine that. I mean, obviously, you all had children. I don't know how, how long my kids would last, 
if they were taken by force out of the house, they had no contact with um, white people as such before, um, by a BIA person by the name of Dan Hatzpeth, a guy who's, how tall is he? Six, six, eight, six, nine. He's a pretty big um, guy. A huge guy who used to dress up as an FBI agent. Excuse me, BIA, was that the Bureau of Indian Affairs? Yes. Okay. Yes, correct. Yes. And he's well known, you know, for um, for his threatening behavior of beating up uh, tribal members at the time. I mean, he's since deceased, but he was one of the people that did the original interviews. Uh, A very, very threatening person. I imagine you're four years old and you interviewed by a person six foot eight, you know, it's um it's intimidating it's just you know you can't imagine and and also i i don't know what my daughters would do they would probably do anything um to go back to mommy you know i think any child would i really say anything Mm -hmm. you know to go back to mommy i mean these these small kids you know they were i mean fury doesn't count she's only 20 months at the time i mean who would take a baby but never mind Mm -hmm. um they four years old four and five and six and seven, those are the ones that were used to try, you know. And Donovan, since deceased, you know, he, he committed suicide so, because he couldn't cope with the with the guilt, you know. So that's one of the big, big tragedies is you know, the the psychological damage that was done to these children. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, I can't imagine the the psychological damage yeah Yeah, you would think you know that everything you put them through how they used them abused them you know because they did abuse them and they did use them because they abused them by sending them to that doctor and that doctor molested them not us what that doctor did to them you know he should be locked up for what he did Mm -hmm. <clears throat> he didn't even have to testify in trial. Yeah. I mean, also Donna Jordan, who is a foster parent. I mean, not, I mean, she not in trial. Also... Yeah, sorry. He didn't have to testify in trial. He didn't have to come to our our appeal. The judge court ordered him federal, federal, uh, federal order for him to appear in court. He didn't show up. You know, that that's... Uh, that's breaking the law. So why isn't he ever, why Wait, wasn't he locked? Up, you know? Who gets away with that? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Cause the judge knows, you know, he's, that's his, that's his so-called evidence right there. If the, if the doctor overturns his false evidence, you know, then we're free, you know, that judge knows that. So why is he going to allow him in the, in the into the evidentiary hearing to testify, you know? If I remember correctly, wasn't there um, another doctor that uh, that your attorneys hired to to examine the children and found came to a completely different conclusion? Oh, I can't remember. Anna, do you remember? I think you're talking about. um, I think she's talking about Holly's husband. Do you mean Dr. Underwagner? Do you mean him at the original trial? You know. Yeah. he was talking I, about the uh, coercion and how the children were psychologically influenced during the interviews and how suggestive interview techniques were used. Is that yeah, 
I believe so, yes. but wasn't there one that did a physical examination on the children and said that it was not that there were no signs of sexual abuse? No, there were two. There were two. There were two doctors. One is Dr. Kaplan. He's since deceased. Uh, Dr. Kaplan actually worked as a social worker for the Yangtze Sioux tribe prior to him becoming a pediatrician. And um, when he actually looked at the children, this is this brings us to a different to a different angle because the children actually some of them have this what's called Mongolian spots. This is a Native American and also in Black African community. Some of the children have skin markings and they can um, look like bruises to the unknown eye. Um, so this is what Dr. Kaplan possibly observed during his initial examination of the children. And this happens often on the reservation. So a lot of Native American parents don't actually like to bring their kids to uh, any doctor because um, child abuse allegations can come up just due to these uh, to this genetical you know preposition or however you want to call it you know so this happens happens regularly so I I assume that we can't doctor ask Dr Kaplan at some point I was still in contact with him and he and he wanted to talk to me. Um, but you could tell that he was feeling kind of guilty and confused himself. Towards the end of his life, he was actually doing seminars on how to avoid false convictions while testifying for a child abuse um, mimics or factors or whatever. He wrote a whole book on it, you know, um, how, how, how you can get it wrong. I mean, I do have this book. And uh, he wrote it with Joyce Adams, who is the top expert in the field, who's actually one of our pro bono experts. And the whole book is basically describing everything he did wrong in the in the Rouse case, <laughs> which is yeah, that, which that's is kind what of, I was talking, which is kind of interesting. Talk about okay, I'm mm -hmm. sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I mean, it's like I have to apologize because every question uh that you that you tell me it's very difficult sometimes to answer it straight off because it leads on to another question another question um another circumstance you know so yeah and but that yeah. is what i was talking about I, I, I read that somewhere in the files that that we looked at so okay yeah that is what i was talking about so there were two right. doctors one was dr kaplan and actually the prosecution at the trial they hang their hat on dr farrell Okay, Dr. Farrell, who is a gynecologist, uh, to actually examine the children, he, he himself set a trial. He actually read a book from the 50s prior to the examination of the kids. And that's what he used to make his assertions. He has no um, experience in child abuse. He also said that at the trial. And he's gone... Uh, completely by his own personal opinion and by this book. And that was enough. And obviously his evidence has been looked at by several oh. specialists and experts uh, who all wrote affidavits, who all in short said it's complete nonsense what he wrote. <laughs> it's total nonsense and it's totally not child abuse at all. And for sure, by now he knows everything he said back then was completely illogical and stupid. And no doubt he's going to come forward. And 
say as much. But unfortunately, he never did. So he is very happy for these four men to live with this stigma. And also, he doesn't give uh, a care in the world about these native children as well, these girls whose life he's basically, um, I don't want to say wound, but strongly affected, you know, psychologically too, you know. And who he performed these examinations, he's actually injured them with this coloscopy examinations, sorry. That's the stuff that you do when uh, you look for a lady. She has cancer, cervical cancer. So this is the examination he performed on his children, you know. Totally not recommended for sexual abuse cases um, at all. So um, that's another story. There are so many factors to this. Um, I'm pretty sure that obviously the judge knows if Dr. Farrell would have come back to court, he would have been cross-examined by Mike. And it would have taken 10 minutes for him to recant everything. And that's not allowed to happen. You're not going to allow that to happen. So, and I guess obviously Dr. Farrell's reputation uh, would have been in Tetris too. You know, again, he's a gynecologist. He's still a gynecologist, not a pediatrician. Not even qualified to make those assertions. What about justice? Justice doesn't matter? Apparently not. The judge that was that presided over a whole trial, he he retired. Then Anna went down to see the Texas Innocence Project in fifteen. In December, she went down. Her and my niece Lucretia flew down to Texas to meet with the Innocence Project, or not the Innocence Project. Excuse me, just Mike Ware by himself. A great lawyer, great one of the greatest lawyers out of Texas. He is the greatest. He's the best lawyer in Texas. Anna talked to him with Lucretia and, and presented the case to him. And the next day, Mike said, "I'm going to help. I'm going to help Desmond." You know. Mike Ware is a wonderful man. He really is. And I'm glad he took yeah. your case, or I would have never met you. That's how I met you, Desmond. So now the judge that was retired gets wind of Mike Ware and the Texas Innocence Project going to help us. <clears throat> so to power up his false conviction, he comes out of retirement to to basically rebury everything and you know, cover up this false conviction forever, you know. Yeah. So we're just thinking what options we still have open to expose this, you know, like a medical board in South Dakota. I mean, surely there must be interested in some, there must be some kind of professional standards, you know, that they follow. Right. Um, the foster care system, I mean, is it okay? Hmm? What was the judge's name again? The one that came out of retirement? Lawrence Pearsall. <clears throat> Mr. Pearsall is also very active in the in works for the Native American community. I believe at some point he was the head of the advisory committee for Native American culture and history and, you know, all kinds of other uh, judicial issues. So. So he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. In other words, you know, he's on one side, he's of trying course. to be this great guy talking for Native Americans while 
and this other hand, he's bearing this false conviction he did to the, did to us Native Americans. Came out of retirement to bury this false conviction he made up. Him and his too many uh, careers hang on this. You see, this was his very first case as federal judge. He'd been appointed as federal judge, and then this was his first case. So he built his whole the, career on it. All the attorneys that was this was their first trial. All of them. Yes. Ours was their yes. first trial, the doctors, everybody. Wow. Yeah. The Guardian beat him, built her uh, career on this. This is her top case, you know. Yeah. And the attorneys, prior <clears> to this, they weren't at a law. They were just doing state law. So they didn't even know what they were doing, you know. It's so, ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. Yes. And these guys' life, you know, their family's life, everything ruled, you know. And Garfield, which is probably interesting, his attorney was actually a former federal judge, you know. During our trial, he was sleeping. You know, you could hear him snoring. He was sitting down at the end of the table snoring, you know, while our trial was going on. So That's I don't know how, you know. <laughs> that. This does not sound anything like a fair trial or, you know, it sounds very... Uh, M malicious actually and uh, wrong and that everybody knew exactly what they were doing oh, yeah. not not by mistake just evil let's just, say, let's just say we were the guinea pigs and they were getting it getting it all right so that it will the people after us you know whoever they wanted to false convict yeah we got it you know we can we can lock up a lot of native americans this way you know, we could take a lot of children away this way, too. Because that's the concern. It, it, it's not just happened to you. And it's still possible for it to happen today. Yes. It still is it, happening today. Yes. It is. If, it, and that is why I think it's even more important that your story comes out justice for you and for your, you know, nephews and nieces and what they were put through and for everybody else who is uh, going through the same thing. What I would like is for everything to be put back on the table, everything. And we get a real judge and jury of our peers, you know, and we go to trial again with everything on the table, everything. Yes, because it's also about accountability. If, if people who does this are not stopped, they'll keep doing it like convicting uh, people wrongly and they will keep kidnapping kids and putting them through a terrible foster Trauma. care. And one still is doing it. Her name is Karen Schreier. She's still a federal judge, you know. She's still locking up Native Americans here in South Dakota. But one um, possible problem for our, like putting everything back on the table and, and having a retrial is that there are people that are no longer here. Um, I guess he could take statements from their uh, transcripts from the original trial. Yeah, that's what they'd have to do. But, yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, no way to clear your mom's name or... Go ahead, Anna, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say if they, if they would actually subpoena Dr. Farrell and they would get him into court and question him, you know, that would be it. Then we still have, uh, I think we just we still have uh, 
Donna Jordan passed on, which was one of the foster parents, but Jean Brock, which was one of what was the first person the children were brought to with her husband, Arden Brock, who's actually a guy who made the kids massage his feet. And uh, I believe he was a child molester, actually, where they were brought in his household. Jean Brock is still alive, so she could be subpoenaed and she could be questioned. And also Donna Jordan's husband was a second foster parent. Roger Jordan is still alive. He could be also subpoenaed in question. He actually felt very sorry for the children. You know, they remember that. They remember how sorry he felt that they needed the money, so they fostered so many kids. But of course, they starved them and so did which, terrible things to them. Which one was it that the children alleged they were used as farm labor? Was that the Jordans or was that uh, the it was the Jordans? Okay. There was the Jordans. At the Brooks household, they were used to massage the husband, you know, his feet, his back, uh, wash his hair, comb his hair, you know, things like that. Wow. He liked that, you know, he liked the native girls doing that to him. You know? Wow. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please check back next week for part two with Desmond and Anna. And if you'd like to, please give us a rating on the platform you're listening to us from and give us a follow. And feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. See you next week.